Good morning. Good morning. Let us turn now to our passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, 12. We'll read from verses 18 to 29. And when you get to that passage, please, uh, if you're able, stand for the reading of God's word. So again, Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 18. And I'll be reading from the ESV. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast such as the mountain shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the spring of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This grace, yet once more, I'm sorry, at this time, his voice. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This grace, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is the consuming fire. Please be seated. Today's passage is the last out of five warnings that we get in the book of Hebrews about turning away. If we go all the way back to chapter 2, after being spoken of the glories of Christ and his, his greatness compared to creation and even to angels, we're told in verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. least we drift away from it. So the reason why he's talked about Christ is to prevent them from turning away. And even moving a little more to, to verse 3 is the first warning that we find in the book of Hebrews. Where it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There's a following warning even in chapter 3, verse 12, where we, where we read, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, it's the same thing. Do not turn away. The third warning comes in Hebrews chapter 6, where we read from verses 4 to 6 
where it talks, it's a very famous chapter, where it says that it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, basically who have understood the gospel, for them to be brought back to repentance. And the fourth warning that we see in this book, it's in Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 27. And I'll read to you. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And today's passage now, which again, it, it warns us against turning away from the once received faith. Why do we need to be warned? I mean, haven't we, we been, uh, haven't, hasn't it been enough? There's five warnings. Well, that is a good question, but I submit to you that God thought it relevant. That's why we find it in this book of Hebrews. We need to be warned because all of us are going to face God one day in the day of judgment. You and I will face him. And what kind of what kind of God is he? Who is this God? Well, today's passage is going to help us understand that. We need to know that the turn away from God is serious. In today's passage, we're told many, many things that should give us fear. Yes, godly fear. But we're also presented with many blessings that are to come. And last week in this chapter, we saw how God encourages the weary Jewish Christians that he's writing to, to not turn away. And today, we continue the same encouragement, although with a different emphasis. The struggle in this text, it's simple to understand. It's about Jewish Christians back then who are tempted to turn back to Judaism and forsake their Christian faith. Can you relate to this? I mean, the world thinks, it looks at us and thinks that we're a group of odd people. I mean, we believe God has spoken. We believe the Bible is the word of God. And what does the world think? Well, we follow an antiquated book. We're on the wrong side of history. And more so, um, I was even hearing this morning, there was a man in Toronto who actually got arrested for preaching the gospel. So, I mean, it is, from the world's perspective, you and I today are wasting our time. From the world's perspective, we are here just not following with the times. Doesn't it get tiring to fight the world, to fight the flesh, and Satan? Yes, Christians. If you have ever faced any of these issues in your mind. But let me tell you, today's text speaks to you. God, through the author of Hebrews, encourages them then not to depart from the faith. And we can apply it to us now to not depart from the faith either. Today's passage puts it in this way. Do not turn away from God, for he is a consuming fire. But endure, because the heavenly city is coming with all its blessings to those who are in the church. 
Do not let the world make you so weary that you forsake God. But think about what you're being saved from. So in a nutshell, if you don't remember anything else out of this passage, out of this message, please remember this one thing. Do not turn away, but wait by faith in Christ and his blessings. Let me recap now a little at the beginning to chapter 12. How does it start? It's right after that chapter that we call the faithful of faith. It ends up with Jesus. The crowning point of that, which is why? Because he tells, Hebrews tells here to his readers, run the race with endurance, looking unto Christ, the author or founder and perfecter of our faith. Today, we're encouraged still, but again, as I said, in a different way. We're presented with two mountains. I submit to you, we're presented with Mount Sinai and Mount Sinai. And there's a contrast between the two. And we will look at this more clearly in our passage. But our passage really can be divided into two, three sections. Having these two mountains in mind, uh, let me structure it for you, which will give us actually three points for today's passage. The first point of our passage would be that we ought to be fearful of God's glory, which you'll find in verses 18 to 21. Second point this morning is that we ought to wait for God's blessings in Christ. So we will see in verses 22 to 24. And lastly, do not refuse him, but worship him with reverence and awe. So verses 25 to 29. I repeat, be fearful of God's glory. And wait for God's blessings in Christ. And lastly, do not refuse him, but worship him with reverence and awe. Going right to before our passage, the author of Hebrews speaks to us about Esau. Who was Esau? Well, Esau was the first apostate. Why? Because he renounced his faith. He renounced what he know he knew was his. He renounced the inheritance from his father Isaac. And as a blessing that was to be honored specially by God. And for what? For a bowl of soup. An apostle is somebody who knowingly turns away from spiritual truth, which he did. And we are warned not to be like Esau. And that brings us to our passage in our first point. Be fearful of God's glory. Verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest. Here, basically, Hebrews tells his readers, Now, don't be afraid. But why? Because you're not coming to Mount Sinai. He has better hopes for them. These are Christians. But, let us continue. What is Sinai? Why should they be, why should they be thankful? Well, this passage, and, and this is why I'm saying this is Sinai, has a lot of references to Exodus 19 and 20, which is when God comes down to Sinai to give the law to the Israelites. The Israelites, at this time, were in the middle of the desert where there's nothing. 
But when God showed up, there was a lot going on. We're told of a tempest, a turbulent time, very scary. Come on, this, this passage even says it's a blazing fire, darkness, and gloom, and tempest. None of these descriptions are something friendly or nice, aren't they? And that's intentional. It is intentional because God is there. Mount Sinai is the touchable mountain that cannot be touched, as we see in verse 20. Why? Because if anyone or anything was to touch it, was to be put to death. When God had descended upon that mountain, it was in fire and in smoke. And it was accompanied by an earthquake, as we read in Exodus. This terrified the people of Israel. It scared them to death. So in Sinai, what do we encounter? We encounter a physical, touchable, terrifying mountain. Why is this so? Because God is there. But wait a second. I mean, is it just that God is scary? No. It's because God is holy and different from us. Where do we hear another reference about God's holiness? Well, let us turn to a very well-known passage in Isaiah chapter 6. Where in verses 3 and 4, after we're told that the seraphims are guarding God's glory, they go and say to one another in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 4, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Everything was terrifying when relating to this holy God. Even Isaiah, who saw this majesty being displayed in front of him, he broke down. He couldn't bear it. That is what happens when you see the majesty of God. And it was in full display at Sinai, at that time, and covered so that people wouldn't die. Let us move to verse 19 now, which continues to give us a description of Mount Sinai. It says, and a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heavens beg. The hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Sinai does not only strike the touchable senses, but also their hearing. Sinai stunned the people of Israel to the point that they couldn't bear it, so they sent Moses. And we're even in continuing with this in verse 21. We see that not even Moses was able to stand. And this is something to consider for us because Moses is the prophet of the Old Testament. He was probably one of the holiest people that was ever part of Israel. And yet he couldn't stand. He trembled with fear as we read in verse 21. This is a, a strong reminder to the readers of this book because Moses, we also read, that is the one who spoke to God face to face as someone does to a friend. In Exodus 33.11, he trembled just like anyone else at the sight of a majesty. So, if the Israelites trembled and even Moses back then, in Sinai where God was and where God delivered the law to them, how much more do you think the judge of 
controller would make this world look when he comes back. It doesn't matter who we think we are. When you and I stand in front of God at the foot of the law, when all the books are open, you will not be able to do anything else but to be afraid. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So some people might have come today saying, well, thinking, I'm good enough to go to heaven. And I'm good enough to face God. I mean, I'm better than my neighbor. I don't steal. Oh, well. This, this passage in Galatians says to us that if you break any of the commandments of God, have you ever lied? Even if it's a white lie. Have you ever had a bad thought? Well, let me tell you, out of this verse, you are under a curse. And the only people that could stand back at Sinai were holy people. And notice that not even Moses was able to stand. So how much can we have a hope to stand in front of this God? Do you really think that God would overlook our sin as a not big deal? That is a not, not a big deal? And forsake us for it? The intention of this letter is to make you fear this mountain. This text is clear. But mostly, not just the mountain, but the one who is on that mountain, and that is God. He gave the law at Sinai, but one day, he would apply the law to every human who ever lived. The terrorists of Mount Sinai inside struck the Israelites and Moses, but one day, so, what is the intention of the author of Hebrews to communicate in this passage? It is simply this. Do not turn away from God. Otherwise, you will face him as he revealed himself in Sinai. To turn away from Christ is to turn towards a terrifying future where there is no peace and where there is no hope. Now let us come to our second point, uh, to wait for God's blessings in Christ. Verse 22 starts by saying, but you have come to Mount Sinai. What a relief, isn't it, brothers? Rejoice. If you are in Christ, if you have come to Christ as the Jewish Christians did, you have been saved from the terrifying sight of Mount Sinai. The Sinai is where nobody could stand. Because of God's holiness. What man Sinai in the Old Testament was to the Jewish Christians was, well, it's terrifying. I mean, Mount Sinai. But Mount Sinai, what is it that Mount Sinai is? Let us go back to history. Mount Sinai was first, uh, the, the city of Sinai was first owned by the Jebusites, and then it was conquered for the Israelites by King David. And King David renamed it Jerusalem. Isn't that a more familiar name? And what happened in Jerusalem? Well, we're told that the temple was built, and also in the Old Testament that it was the dwelling place of God. So again, as I said before, we're looking at two mountains, Mount Sinai, where there was no dwelling of God, there was the law given, and there was a terrifying picture. And yet we have Mount Sinai, or Jerusalem, where the temple was built, there was a sacrifice. So there was a means 
to be at peace, in peace with God. And it was the place where God dwelt. You see that contrast? We're presented that here. And out of this passage, we actually get seven distinct points of what does it mean to come to Mount Sinai. So Sinai was terrifying at Sinai, or Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem. We find seven things that the text tells us about. So we'll walk through them quick. But verse 22, in coming to Zion, you first come to the city of the living God. So you come by grace into the presence of God, to his heavenly city. And what have we read in Hebrews 11 about, for instance, Abraham? Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was who? God. Amen. Thank you, brother. It's the moment you become a Christian, you become a citizen of this new city. If you remember Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says to believers, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we are with for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, our possessions are in the city. Our Father is in that city. Our Savior is in that city. Our life. Is in that city. What else do we get in coming to Zion? Well, we come to join in innumerable angels and festival gathering in verse 22. Yes, you not only come to the heavenly city, but you join in angels to worship God. And not only that, but you come in verse 23 to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Oh, sorry, that's a mouthful. Uh, so, what do we see that in Zion, to, to summarize it, you come the church. Why am I saying this? Well, there's the word assembly there, and I actually check a passage like this, and the word of it is, the word underneath is ecclesia, which gets translated in other places of the New Testament as church. And what about the word firstborn? Well, we know that the firstborn, this word here, is actually on the plural. So who may it be referring to? Well, I submit to you, it refers to the church. And what does the firstborn get? Well, the firstborn gets an inheritance. So the church, by union with Christ, gets to share on his title of firstborn. And we, as the church, receive the inheritance of the Son, which is heaven, and everything in it. It's a wonderful thing. And there is more. What else do we come to when we come to Zion? We come to God, the judge of all. What do we say about Sinai? God was unapproachable. You would die before touching, before touching the mountain where God was. But no, in Zion, we actually come to the presence of God himself. In the Old Testament, there was a veil for everybody, except the high priest, only just once, once a year. But to everyone else, there was an impenetrable veil. But now in Christ, there is no veil. It's been torn. And we can come directly to the judge of all. In Sinai, you come to death and fear. But you come to Zion. You come to be in the presence of God and your life. What else do we come to when we come to Zion? Let's go continue in verse 23. You come to be with the Old Testament saints. Remember Hebrews 11? You get to be with all those believers and join together. In heaven. What else do we come to? The sixth and the most important thing we come to 
is to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Remember Hebrews 12, verse 2? What was our motivation to run the race? It was Christ. But now, in Mount Zion, besides seeing all the glory, the angels, and other saints, we will see him face to face. Amen. What a tremendous promise that is. Zion, it's a wonderful place because we will see our king. Amen? Amen. If that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what else it would. But there is more. And the seventh thing we see, we get to see when coming to Mount Zion is that we come to the perfect atonement made for sins, the new covenant. Oh, brothers and sisters, in becoming a Christian and coming to Zion, we come to the sprinkled blood, as it says in the text, that it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Blood, as we've seen in this book, is for what? For atoning of sin. So it represents a life. In Christ, we have the ultimate, perfect sacrifice that fully atones or, make, or makes payment for our sin. Abel is mentioned because he gave an acceptable sacrifice to God back, back in Genesis 4. And he died. Innocently, he was killed by his brother. And, um, and it was given as an example of righteousness. But how much more superior do you think that the sacrifice of the Son of God you offer the firstborn, not of a sheepfold, but the firstborn of God and be the son. And he makes, the, and not only that, but he ever lives to intercede for us in heaven. How much greater do you think that is? The precious blood of Christ redeemed us and purchased for us full forgiveness. Here is the core message of the gospel. And it is because of the gospel that we are brought into this new covenant when we will see Christ, other believers, and God in the common side. Christian, you have been given innumerable blessings in Christ. Hold fast to these promises. Do not turn away. But wait, but wait by faith in Christ and his blessings. So let, let me recap here. What are we seeing about Zion? What is Zion? Well, Zion is the celebrating sanctuary of God, which is populated by angels, saints, and heirs. God the judge and Jesus, whose blood secured for us perfect forgiveness. This is Mount Zion. What a blessing awaits for us, those who trust Christ. So what should we do about this? Well, we ought to rest in God's salvation. We ought not to turn away from Christ, but eagerly wait for this coming city. We do this by faith, by responding to the gracious message of the gospel with open hearts. If you're a Christian this morning, be assured that if you were to die today, tomorrow, or in 50 years, or if Christ comes back, you will see this heavenly city. So now let us turn to our final point this morning. Do not refuse him, but worship him with reverence and awe. As we see in verse 25 at the beginning where it says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So let me submit to you. In, our, in, in view of our privilege to worship in heaven, in the heavenly Jerusalem, 
we're given a warning. We're basically told, you better listen. And it continues in the rest of verse 25, where it says, For if they did not stay when they refused him who warned them on earth, how less, how much less will we stay if we reject him who warned us in heaven? This is a very serious warning. Doesn't it echo what we read in Hebrews chapter 2? After we're told of the glories of Christ, we're told in Hebrews 2. How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? These two are rhetorical questions. And there's only one answer. Nobody. Nobody will escape from the judgment of God. Verses 26 and 27 show us why it is so terrifying to fall under the judgment of God. Where it says, At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once again I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. At Sinai, God shook the earth. And this is a foreshadowing of what is to come, that it will shake not only the earth, but the entire universe. If the Israelites did not escape the judgment of God when he shook the earth, do you think that we will escape when he destroys the entire creation? Let us read in Isaiah chapter 13 where it says, Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, says God, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. We're dealing with judgment. Verse 27 speaks of the ultimate shaking that will remove things that have been made, meaning creation is known. What does it mean then? It means that God is going to wipe out the entire universe, leaving only what is eternal. Which in this passage, what is that? The common sign. That new heavenly city. That which is yours in Christ that cannot be shaken. Listen to 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 10-12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and, the he- and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord, of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt us in. Again, this is all imagery, vivid imagery about what is to come in the day of judgment. And let us turn now to verse 28. What, is, what does the author of Hebrews tell us here? It says, therefore, let us be grateful for a receiving kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence. Here, in this verse, is the application that God has for us today. Believers, be grateful. You have been promised better things. The author of Hebrews, God here, through the author of Hebrews, has better hopes for us. Not of destruction, but of life. 
For those who are in Christ, we are waiting for this new unshakable reality, this new heavenly city. As we have seen it so far in verses 23 to 24, this heavenly city is a wonderful place. That is what is awaiting for us. So therefore, do not turn away from Christ. It is worth it to stay and run the race. Remember that Christ is superior to angels. He has offered a perfect sacrifice. He is your high priest. Remember the example of fellow believers through time, as we were still in Hebrews 11. Look unto Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We have many encouragements in Christ to seek this heavenly city. Do not turn away. Our response to so gracious a gift must be to worship in gratitude, reverence, and awe. God, the judge of all, for the sake of Jesus, the new covenant mediator, has welcomed believers to draw near into his holy place. What pleases God in worship, it is faith, as we've seen in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 11, 6. It says, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So lastly, in our verse, last verse in this passage, it says, For our God is a consuming fire. This chapter ends in a sober note. We have been given a contrast between Zion, Sinai and Zion, and it comes down to this, law and grace. Would you seek to live by the law and meet God with your works? If you do so, remember the illustration of Mount Sinai you will be coming to something much, much worse than Sinai. For that matter, the worst thing that history will ever see. And if you're not a Christian today, let me tell you, God is holy, and you and I are going to face him certainly one day. My motivation to warn you is this. We will all have to face this God naked, fearful, and without hope, unless we seek God through Jesus. If not, we would only meet him if you go with your works to Sinai your works will be brought alongside with you so I plead with you take this to heart don't let it go because you one day will face him don't go to Sinai plead with God for your life for our God is a consuming fire. And if you're a Christian this morning, let me admonish you, as God did to those Hebrew Christians back then. Do not turn away, but be encouraged. We have a heavenly hope, a heavenly city which is coming. Do not go back to the life before Christ. That will only lead you to destruction and to face God in God's wrath over your own head. Do not turn away, but wait by faith in Christ and his blessings. Remember, remember Peter and in, in John chapter 6 or 68, when people were leaving Jesus and he asked the 12 if they would leave as well? What did, Pete, what did Peter say? He said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. May that be added, are added towards discouragement, persecution, and hardship. Look unto Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We do this by faith. 
Faith in the one who has given us this unshakable hope that is coming is the kingdom of God the Son. By faith alone, we can become heirs to this great blessing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you after reflecting on this hard passage today. We saw a fit that, to warn us about what is it that your holiness does. But more so than that, Father, is to remind us that that is not our future. That in Christ, Lord, we await for this heavenly city, this new Jerusalem, where we will see you and worship you out of thankful and grateful hearts. May you help us not depart from this faith that was given to us in Christ. But use our the hardships that we're in, Lord, to endure and to shape us into the image of your Son. Thank you for this passage, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us, that continues to shape us and continues to make us holy, because without holiness, we would not see you, but ultimately we have that in Christ fully. And may we grab to that promise, Lord, that it is in Christ that we find our completeness, that we find our, our peace with you. We thank you for him and his sacrifice. Thank you, Mr. Amen.